mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 John, 2 John, written by John, one of the sons of thunder, John, who also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, some call him the Revelator, written around... Uh, A.D. 90 to 95, and I think the key verse in this short letter, 13 verses, so that's why I didn't say chapter 1, although there is a 1, is verse 6. Verse 6, I like to give a key verse usually when I do an introduction to a book. This is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So we want to know what love is, and we're going to see that that's one of the themes of this short letter. Some people have even picked on this letter on 2nd and 3rd John. 2nd John, 13 verses. Um, 3rd John, 14 verses. Very tiny Uh, compared to some of the other books. Is it really important? Should it be there? Do we even need the book? What has it got? It's it's packed full of a lot of stuff, believe me. I could probably spend several weeks going over this, but I'll do it in one week because there's so much content there because when they speak uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they just say so much and they mean so much. Now, the overall theme that you want to see probably... Uh, what they're dealing with is what we would call hospitality. Hospitality, fondness in guest or fondness in love, where it was something that was just ingrained in the culture of Israel that they showed hospitality to strangers when people would show up. You see it probably best in the fact that the angels visiting Sodom and Gomorrah and they're out in the city square and nobody goes out there, but who goes out there? Lot goes out there and says, come to my house. Don't stay out here in the town square. So we see hospitality that is totally, uh, uh, and and you're not even going to see the word. The word actually is only in the Bible one time in Romans 12, 13, I think. But hospitality, a fondness, uh, for others, or it's it's really what we might term walking out love, walking out the gospel, and taking care of others in their needs. Meeting urgent needs could be another way of saying it. But what I want you to see in the hospitality is that what was going on in the culture was the gospel was going out, and as soon as the gospel begins to go out, 
false teachers go out also. So these false teachers were going to different places, and when they would show up, they were being shown hospitality because it was ingrained in the culture. And John is writing this letter to tell a specific person in a specific church, don't show hospitality to false teachers. Don't do it. So they would come in and they would have false doctrine. And when you, when you receive them, then you are partaking and approving. You're being yoked together with false teachers. And we see it greatly in the church today. Listen to me. We have to understand that light divides darkness. It separates it. God is not uniting everybody underneath the umbrella of tolerance, and we call that love, and I love you for what you're doing, man. That's, that's the devil that wants to unite everybody. God is dividing. Light divides darkness. God is separating. He doesn't want us to be having hospitality and entertaining people that are falsely teaching the gospel. He wants us to go and be a witness to people. He wants us to, to love, but we're going to see the theme. Now watch with me. The first, uh, in the first, lost my notes. In the first uh, four verses, we see the word truth five times. In the next four verses, we see the commandment three times. And then we see the word doctrine three times, excuse me, commandments four times. The doctrine is three times. And what's he talking about? Then he's talking about abiding and walking. These are all themes that we're going to see. And, And when I look at a book or when I start reading a chapter or a letter, I look at words that are being repeated. When somebody, you're talking to somebody and they say, I, 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 you pretty much think they're talking about themselves, Right? When you say we, 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 or you, you, or whatever you say, you listen for people what they're talking about. What are they about? What are they talking about? What's coming out of their mouth? Well, see, you can see the same thing in the letters that we read uh, and find words that are very important. And so we're going to see the word truth five times, the word commandment four times in three verses, and then the word doctrine three times. But what about them? The underlying theme of abiding or walking in. So it's very important because, see, lawlessness will abound when Jesus comes. And even in the church, we want to be lawless. We want to be rebellious. We don't want to come underneath the authority of the church. We don't want to come underneath the authority of the commandment. We don't want to come underneath the authority of the doctrine that God has placed in the church. And we want to do our own thing. Well, can't we do our own thing? I said a prayer, man. I'm already in, so now I get to do what I want to do. No, if you're really in and the Spirit of God is in you then you want to find out what the will of the Lord is and begin to do what God says, lest you end up following something that's false and you end up twice the son of hell, as many do, because they don't want to listen to the word of God. And basically, as you put it in a nutshell, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. What is he restoring? He's restoring us to hearing his voice. Why? Because Eve and Adam didn't listen to his voice in the garden. They thought another voice would be better. And I'm going to always bring the same thing back to you because it's about your personal relationship. It's about what you're doing. It's about how you're abiding, how you're walking in the truth, in the commandments of God, 
in the doctrine of the church that Christ laid out. And then he sent 12 men to go share it with others. And then those men shared it with others. And as, he, as Paul says to Timothy, share this word with faithful men who are able to teach others. And you keep just sharing it. And now down the corridor of time, you and I are believers in Jesus Christ. And we're reading a letter over somebody's shoulder. I mean, this was probably more of a personal letter than, than the other letters. Philemon's a personal letter. This can be considered a personal letter, although I, I uh, tend to disagree a little bit. Uh, some people call it a personal letter because of who it's written to and how it's written. Um, but isn't it interesting that we could be reading somebody's mail over their shoulder down the corridor of time, but it's just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago? Listen to me. That's so important because when we look at the world today, everything's changing. It's shifting. It's moving. I mean, truth is changing from week to week. Have you been watching the news? Do you see stuff? Are you understanding that? They don't want you to be standing on a rock. They don't want you to have a solid foundation. They want you to be so confused and so much in chaos that you'll believe anything they say and go do anything they tell you to do. That you'll follow them instead of hearing the voice of God. So they make everything loose and shifty and, and we think and maybe their disinformation board got shut off because of disinformation. If you've been watching, you know that. I mean, that, that's insanity. That's really insanity. But I don't think they shut it off. I think they just decided they weren't going to make it public. So don't be confused by their deception. I'm just saying there's no truth out there. When you listen to them about war, you go, well, I don't even know. Are we really in a war? I don't even know if there's a war going on. I think I see the bombing. I think I see some stuff. But these people are talking and touring places and acting like there's nothing going on. They're talking about it casually, like, like people's lives don't matter. Listen, truth doesn't change. But we're not dealing in truth in our world today. And the only place you're going to find unchanging truth is here in the Bible. And I digress because I'm getting ahead of myself and we'll come back to that thought. So, John, the grace of God, the graciousness of God, writing to us, and we're reading, his, reading uh, the mail over the shoulder of somebody else. So let's begin, and we'll read this and come back and comment um, concerning this letter. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those we ha who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. 
This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this short letter written by John to the church. May we receive it with meekness, the implanted word for the saving of the soul. May we understand um, what you would say to the church today. Pour out your spirit, have your way with us, and give us a desire to live for you and obey your commands. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, um, short letter. I was trying to think of a way to talk about it because some people do think that it's not very important. I mean, I think about a, maybe a car. Look how big a car is, a big body of a car. And to say that one little bitty tire is not important would be nonsense. How could you get down the road if you don't have this tire? This, this book is here because there's 66 books by 40 authors, and this is one of them that the church council believed was so important because of false teachers coming to churches, coming to your house, coming to fellowship. And so this is written with such amazing uh, accuracy, even though he had many more things to say, he says, first of all, the elder. Now, many of us might think elder as in elders and deacons. It's a word that comes from that, presbyteros. But he's really just talking about the aged. He's older. I don't think he's calling out uh, that he is the authority, although when he re they received the letter, they know he is the authority. He's John the Aged. He's, he's, he's the uh, only surviving probably member of, the, of the, the 12 disciples at this time. But I don't think he's really saying, hey, I'm your elder, obey me. And I don't think that in the church you need to say those things if people will learn the truth and follow the commandments and learn sound doctrine. You don't have to call that out. Now, on the job, in the world, you might have to say, I'm the boss. I don't have to explain it to you. But in the church, when we're walking in love and in unity, as God has prescribed us to do, people don't have to say, hey, I'm the pastor. You don't have to say, I'm the boss. You don't have to say, I'm the elder. It should be obvious when we are learning to come back underneath the authority of God and stop rebelling against God that we should understand that we're submitting to one another in the fear of God. And that's just a mindset that we would have, that we would listen, we would entertain one another, we would speak to one another, we would encourage one another, and we would be concerned about one another because that's what love does. 
So it's just an obvious thing. But what happens is the church is so full of false converts that all they're doing is still looking at what can I get from this? Play to me, uh, praise team. Preach to me, preacher. I got stuff to go do in my life, but we're not looking to give ourselves away. We're not looking to lay our lives down to make other people better like you do in a marriage. You lay your life down so your spouse is the better spouse. You're always giving yourself away the way that Jesus did. And that right there removes the lines of authority, yet it places you underneath the authority of God because you're submitting to one another in the fear of God. So I don't think he's going, hey, I'm the elder. Hey, I'm the only one left. Even though he uses a word that's related to presbytos, presbytos, who knows how to say it. Uh, He's using a word that means, usually used in this time and this day, a senior or an elder or an older person speaking of time or age. And then he's writing to the elect lady and her children. The elect lady and her children. Now, there's people that say, and they can say it. It doesn't really matter for the content of the letter, but we'll discuss it for a moment. Uh, that he's writing to a specific lady who could be named Kyria, uh, uh, I think, or Electa. Uh, but the elect lady, it's interesting that Kyria is the Greek word that comes from the word Kurios, which is Jesus's name. He's Kurios. He's Lord of all, which means supreme in authority. And then her name is Kyria that comes from it. K-Y-R-I-A. I don't have the pronunciation. I'm pronouncing it the way that I would pronounce it in English. Um, And so many people have said that this is a specific woman and her children. I believe he's writing a letter to the church the elect, and her children, those that would come afterwards. So you and I would actually be the children of the elect. We would come afterwards from this church. Now, the word elect means select. It means those that have been chosen. So when you think about this, though, people have taken it and made crazy doctrines out of it, like God only chooses certain people. God only selects certain people. Well, they, they always leave out, though, in the fact of election, it's called the doctrine of election, that God would not choose somebody that was not going to choose him. Listen to me for a minute. And it's very important you understand this. When God selects, when God chooses, when God calls somebody, it's because he already knows whether you would choose him or not. You don't choose the losing team when you already know the results of the game. You don't choose losers. God's not going to choose somebody and make them come to heaven and serve him when they didn't choose him. So God, who has foreknowledge, he knows everything. He never learns anything. He chose those who he knew was going to choose him. That's how we select. That's how we're the elect. 
That's how we have been divinely elected to be part of the body of Christ, the children of God, the bride of Christ, is because as he looks down the corridor of time, he knew on November 17th, 1997, that I was going to surrender to him and choose him and believe in him and be sealed. Now, if he looked down the corridor of time and he sees you were never going to choose him like Pharaoh was never going to choose him. This is the greatest type in the Bible that you can see. Moses, he's sending Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he tells Moses he's not going to do it. But with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I will bring you out. And he says, I will use Pharaoh to show my mighty power on the earth. Because he knew Pharaoh was never going to change his mind. So when you read the text in Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus, you see that the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. You see this as Moses is going to him, giving him the message, let my people go. And then it changes and it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And all it means is that he confirmed it. There's a certain point in time where when you harden your heart to God, you don't listen to the word of God, you don't surrender to the work of God, that there's a certain time where God will confirm your heart and you will be stuck in that place you're at. You won't be able to change your mind and you won't care. So listen to me. If you're going, oh, maybe that's me. Listen, today's the day for salvation. Today's the day to surrender. Today's the day to choose God. So don't take the message like, oh, I got more time. But if you're even concerned, it's only because the Spirit of God is still speaking to you. You would have no concern if your heart was confirmed. Pharaoh didn't care who's the Lord. I don't care who the Lord is. It's my kingdom. He hardened his heart. And then God said, I'm going to confirm his heart and show my mighty power. And Moses had tried to deliver the children of Israel and couldn't kill one, one soldier and hide it. And yet, when he listened to God and surrendered to God and went out not even perfectly, he had an angry heart and misrepresented God, God killed the entire nation. All we have to do is listen to God. He's the one that's all-powerful. He's the one that's all-knowing. So listen to me. When the Bible talks about the doctrine of election or the elect lady, that means to select or to choose It's only because God knew what you were going to do already. And he's given you free will to do it. He doesn't learn that you did it. Oh, wow, Greg got saved. I better start sending some stuff his way. He was already sending angels, as Hebrews 1 tells us, that are they not all ministering angels to protect those who will receive salvation? So while he's waiting for that time that he already knows, he's actually been protecting you. You're like, well, my life's been bad. Well, those things were driving you to God. Those things were calling you out so you'd cry out to God and you'd say, what is it all about? And then you become the elect because you were selected by God before you were in your mother's womb because he knew that you were going to receive the message and surrender to him. So the chosen, the elect, he chose by foreknowledge foreknowledge there's nobody that god chose to go to hell that would contradict the bible for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe would have eternal life listen whomsoever in other words the scripture is not true if some of them were already chosen to go to hell it's god's will that all men would come to salvation or excuse me come to repentance Well, that's not true because some of them are already chosen to go to hell. 
How could I ever repent if I was chosen to go to hell? See, God didn't select anybody and put them in line. He gave everybody free will to choose. He gave Adam and Eve free will to choose, and they chose to rebel. He gave Jesus free will to choose, and he chose to obey, and he becomes our example. He becomes our righteousness, and we can now believe in him, the name above all names, the name by which one day every knee shall bow to the praise of his glory. So this select or the elect lady, lady is uh, the word that I meant is from Caruso, Caria. Now, again, whether it's a specific lady and her children doesn't really matter. I mean, I believe when you look at verse 13, he calls your elect sister says hi to you. Look, the children of your elect sister greet you. They said, hey, he's calling the sisters, the church that's with him, the same thing. Unless, of course, he's talking about nieces or nephews and this lady's related. But that stuff's not given to us. And why wouldn't he just say her name? Why is he saying lady, the elect lady? I believe it's written to the church then and now. All the word of God is. And whether it is or isn't, all the word of God is by inspiration of God. And it's written to us down the corridors of time. So uh, with all that, to the elect lady and her children, which means her offspring, the offspring of those who continue to share their faith. And he says, whom I love in truth. Whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Because the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. What is truth? In an age where truth is shifting. I've told you before I was called by a sociologist, narcissistic one day, for quoting truth. She said I was narcissistic. And I said, excuse me? Well, you're claiming to know the truth. I said, I do. He's a person. He's Jesus Christ. He's truth. He's unchanging. He doesn't move. She wasn't very happy with that, even though she was a Christian. See how, see how the world's education, if you put it before God, can alter the way that you think of God? Here is a lady that's been in the church some 60 years who was a sociologist in Indianapolis and then moved to Lafayette, and I come to know her. She's a very nice lady, but when I would quote Scripture and say truth, she would say that I was narcissistic to claim that I knew the truth. And I'm looking at her like, you don't know the truth? Because when you have social sciences, truth changes. Truth becomes what's societal norms. Truth can move, and it's hard to hit. You can't hit it. But with God, truth doesn't move. Look at this. The truth that was written in the garden about the garden is still the same truth today. But the world is ever shifting and ever moving and so that you have to march to the beat of their drum. To the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, in Christ. 
John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And not only I, John says, I didn't, I'm not the only one, but also all those who have known the truth. If you know the truth, gnoskos, are you assured that Jesus is truth? Listen, truth is very important to know because when you know truth, now you're going to stand in it. You're going to walk in it. You're going you're to want to be changed by it. John says in John 17, 17, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Listen to me, because we're called, we come, and now we got to be washed and cleansed, sanctified, set apart for His use. Everything is about truth. Listen to me. Notice this is the theme He's using right here. Five times truth. You cannot base it on your emotions, your feelings. You can't base what you do, and this is where He's going to get to. He's bringing this big, this big rock of Jesus Christ of truth in, foundational because I got something to talk to you about, because false teachers are coming, and I don't want you to be misled by your emotions. I don't want you to be misled by your feelings. I don't want you to be misled by the culture. I don't want you to be misled by the news reports. I don't want you to be misled by something else, because it looks good to do, because others are doing it. I want you to start with the foundational thing of the truth. Jesus is truth. It doesn't change. He's the unchanging one. I am God, I do not change. Listen to me, it's so important that you get this. If you don't put all your eggs in one basket of Jesus Christ, you'll constantly be looking anxiously about you. You'll constantly be checking with somebody else. You have a choice to become a, a person who loves truth. And it has to be done by the Spirit of God. And he says, not only I, but also all those who have known truth. Do you know the truth? Do you know Jesus? It's so important or you'll make decisions based on something else. Actually, he says, in the truth in the King James, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Aletheia, I think is how it's pronounced. In John 14, 17, it's called the spirit of truth. In John 15, 26, he's called the spirit of truth. In John 16, 13, he's called the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I'll send you another, the spirit of truth. We've just finished an entire series talking about the Spirit, and that's, that's who we're supposed to be letting lead us in, in His Word, in His truth, in His kingdom, for His glory. What, who else do we want? We want God Himself leading us. He comes and seals us, and then, and then He leads us and teaches us, and He's saying, whom I love in the truth, and everybody else who has known the truth. Are you growing in the truth? The word know here is assurance. The word known here is the gnoskos we've talked about. To know absolutely with assurance, to be resolved, to understand it, but it's also at the same time you're growing in it. Listen, I am saved, but I'm being saved. 
I do know Jesus, but I'm also growing in the knowledge, the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So I can become a partaker of the divine nature. I can become like him as I grow, but I do know that he is truth. And it has to start there. Everything starts there. What about Ephesians 6.14? Stand therefore, having put on the belt of truth. Remember, it's foundational. Everywhere you look in the Bible, truth is foundational. The enemy fights with lies. And the first weapon, when he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. The armor of God. Why? Because we're soldiers in the army of the living God. And what should I start with, Lord? Stand in the victory of the cross. Put on the belt of truth. Have your waist girded with the belt of truth. That's the way a police officer, you ever see their belt? Now they got their handcuffs, their mace, their gun. They got everything hanging on their belt because it all is foundational. Well, how can I know it's truth? He says, above all, take up the shield of faith where you, where, whereby you will be able to quench all the fiery darts, all the lies of the wicked one. Listen, truth has to be where we start at. This is John's point. This is a huge deal. So many Christians start with a lie. So many Christians start with an altar call. So many Christians' conversion starts with something other than believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. Repentance, turning and going the other way. And we've taught them something that is not true. And therefore, you have a false conversion. Does it mean that somebody going to an altar and saying a prayer isn't saved? No, they could actually, I mean, a blind squirrel can find a nut every once in a while. But that's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel says for you to repent. It's God's will that all would come to repentance. Metanoia would turn the other way. Turn away from rebellion. Turn away from the lie and turn to a person which is truth. And we have to be foundationally secure with that or nothing else matters. If you go from, if you skip truth... Because the next word we're going to look at, if you skip truth, love shifts. What? Well, God's told us to love. And that's what you hear in the church today. Well, God's told us to love. We just need the love. Love wins. We just need to love everybody. Wait a minute. Did you skip truth? Did you skip truth? Because God is truth and God is love, you cannot skip and say, now we're just going to love everybody and make it all inclusive and everybody gets to come in, no matter how they're living in the church, no matter how they're living in the world, no matter what they're believing, we're just going to love them because everybody wins. God loves them all. See, now you've skipped truth. You have to start with truth. This is what John is leading us in. And then truth decides everything else. Paul said, or, yeah, Paul said to the Corinthian believers, as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation. And if anyone builds with anything else, wood, hay, stubble, it's going to be burned up. The time will tell it. And many people in the church today are building from something that is not truth. You can read Matthew 7 about that. Matthew 7, those that are building on sand instead of the solid rock of truth. A God who is unchanging. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not 
change. I can't beat this enough. I can't beat it enough. If you are joined into your Christian walk and you think you're okay and you're trying to live a salvation and you don't have the spirit of truth, the time is coming and now is when you will worship not here on this mountain or anyone else. You will worship in spirit and truth according to the spirit leading you into all truth. And truth is the word of God. Think about it. Uh, 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17, all Scripture, all the Word of God, is inspired by God. The Holy Writ is inspired by God and is profitable for, anybody know the next word? Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, yes, the woman of God, the child of God, might be thoroughly equipped and ready for every good work. It has to start with the Word of God, who is Jesus. It has to start with the truth of God, who is Jesus. It has to start with the Spirit of truth, who is Jesus, sending Himself back in spirit, God Himself, to live in you. So he writes, and and I'm beating this because we've got to get to the next part, but we have to first believe truth. And people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Really? Now, when the next big thing happens in your life, do you choose to do what the Bible says or are you choosing to do what the world says? Are you choosing to do what the Word of God says and cry out to God or do you pick up the phone and do you call somebody else? Do you choose to run for help somewhere else or are you running to God for help? If you really trust God, where do you go for help? If you really believe He's truth, who are you crying out to? This is what He wants to train us to come to Him first. And then He tells us where to go for help. He's the ever-present help in time of need. He's the one that loves us. He's the one that died for us. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that's here right now, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment and sanctifying and cleansing us. He's equipping us to go out and live a life of truth and not be afraid to speak up. Listen, do you know that when you don't speak up, now I'm not... not, trying to condemn you or shame you or make you feel guilty. But to be silent over matters is the same thing as approving of them. We're going to get to that in the final verses. When you're silent, when you know the truth, you're approving of it. You're giving consent because you don't speak up. That's what the Bible teaches. Because we're called to be witnesses of what truth is and what light is and what God is doing. That's why when the restrainer the Holy Spirit that's in the church is taken out. All hell will literally break loose on here and earth because there's no longer any influence from truth and it can all be taken over by the liar, the Antichrist. So he loves them in truth, all the church. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in him. The truth of God is in him. And and not only uh, I but also all those who have known the truth. Listen, if you know Jesus, then you're going to want to love others in the truth just like he did. 
That's the first, first lesson here, is that because of truth coming in and living in our life, we love others, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And we die to self, and we begin to go to others because of who He is and what He's doing, and His Spirit now dwells in us, and it should give us a desire to love others, to be concerned about others, to go out and encourage others, and to make sure that they don't burn in hell. Because that's exactly what God did when he came to save us. Two, it says because in the King James, but it's really for the, uh, in the, excuse me, New King James says because, New, and the King James says for the, because of the truth, for the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever and for the really or because is the channel of the act listen to me it's the channel of the act why does john love them and why does everybody that's known truth love it's the channel it's the channel it's because truth abides in us it's because truth is dwelleth dwelling in us and will be with us forever because Jesus is that truth. So it's denoting the channel of the act. So now, listen to me, because I was looking at that, the channel. Because this is what people are doing. This is where false doctrine comes from. This is what people out there channeling other spirits. There's doctrine to demons. There's the seducing spirits. And what do they do? They channel them. I was watching something on TV the other day, and they said, actually, it's like as if you're channeling and I'm like, are you serious? We're really saying this on TV now? Like, it's, we're so familiar with familiar spirits that commentators on TV are saying stuff like you're actually channeling. Now, I don't want you to get really freaked out, but that's what you do when you're turning to your TV. You're channeling. You're checking a channel. And you're being seduced by all the teaching of the world that has nothing to do with the voice of God. And you turn in and you tune in and you but it's the biggest idol and, and everything that we would not let through the front door, we would stop with our guns. We let straight through the TV as we channel it. And all this indoctrination from Satan comes straight through the TV. Listen to me. These words are not made like that for a, just to be... They're purposeful, right in our face, hidden in plain view. We have mediums, the advertising mediums, the, the television mediums. These are people that are go-betweens between your soul and Jesus. And they're channeling this stuff to you through technology. And if you're not standing on the truth, you don't see any of it. You just let it go into you, into your eyes, into your soul, into your heart. And it's doctrines of demons seducing you. Oh, it's okay, Greg. Love wins. I know the truth. I, went, I remember the day that I went and said a prayer at the altar. I'm fine. I can do what I want. Not biblical. Not biblical. You'll see it down here in verse 9. Not biblical. And we're being warned. We're being warned by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, because of the grace of God. For the truth's sake, that's what it says in the King James, for the truth's sake, verse 2, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us. Listen, 
that the Spirit of God dwells in you, the truth is in you. It's written on your heart. It's written on your conscience and will be with us for how long? Forever. Forever. Same thing that he says over in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will send you another helper, the Spirit of truth that will be with you and in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Listen to me. John, doesn't, John says the same thing over and over, and, 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 and some people think that I say the same thing over and over. I do. There's no new message. If it's from God, it's not new, and if it's new, it's not from God. He's saying the same thing. I love you. I love you. Here's the truth. Walk in it. I love you. He said the same thing to Adam and Eve. I love you. Look at this fellowship. They got to experience it. And they still turn from it. And you and I are the same way. It's human nature. We, we see the truth. We know the truth. We receive the truth. And we go, oh, I like to play over here. If we don't die to self and put to death the deeds of the flesh and, and walk in the spirit and ask God to lead us and then actively get involved in what we're supposed to be doing so that he can transform us by the renewing of the mind. And there'll be evidence. He'll prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's for the truth's sake. That's why John is writing. That's why John loves. That's why everyone who's known God loves. And it's for the truth's sake because that's what God is. He is love. What an introduction. Verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. Some texts say with us. From God, where does grace, mercy, and peace come from? From God, grace, mercy, and peace. This is, I mean, it's will be with us, and it's from God the Father. And it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in his blood. Notice Lord Jesus Christ. Kurios Yeshua Mashiach. It's not his first, middle, and last name. Lord is his title, kurios, supreme in authority. Jesus is his name, the salvation of God. Christ, the Mashiach, the anointed of God, the one that God sent. And he is the son of the father, which means Mary was a virgin, which means the Holy Spirit did come up and overshadow and he became a son. Today I've begotten you. How? In truth, in love. Listen, that's where, that's where grace, mercy, and peace comes, by faith from God, from, through the Son, Jesus Christ, in truth again and in love. Agape, unconditional love. See, I see, I wrote next to mine, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Verse 3, I wrote next to it, the Trinity. And you go, well, where's the Spirit at? Well, there's the Father and the Son, and you can't see it unless you have the Spirit of God. That's the Trinity to me. You can't see what's going on unless the Spirit of God shows it to you. So I put the Trinity down there because that's what it is. Grace, mercy, and peace. Mm. How come we don't see justice there? 
attribute of God. We see the attributes of God, grace, mercy, peace. We see uh, truth. We see love. How come we don't see justice? Because Jesus took our punishment. He took our curse. Justice was meted out on the cross for the sins of the world for you and I. That's why you and I don't, we don't cry out for justice. Lord, give me justice. We might cry it out for somebody else, our enemies. But what do we cry out for? Mercy. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's a really simple term for it. Not getting what you deserve. The wages of sin, the payment for your sin nature is death. And because of God's mercy, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Or Titus 3, 5 and 6. Not by works, works, ergon, of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's how He saved us. And then somebody will say, wait a minute, Greg, it wasn't mercy. Yes, because of God's love, He gave mercy. And in that mercy, he, what did He do? He gave us grace. He didn't consume us. He didn't kill us for our sin. But He gave us even more. He gave us grace, which is unmerited favor. Grace, it, it, it's getting what you don't deserve. See, we deserve death, and He didn't stop at not giving us death with His mercy, but He gave us something abundantly more. He gave us truth. He gave us salvation in Christ Jesus, which is getting what you don't deserve. For by grace you have been saved, by faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So he gives us even more. Not only are we not going to be killed for our sin, but we get to be adopted into his family. That's the grace of God. Why, Greg? Because of his love. Why, Greg? Because he sits on the throne of grace meeting out grace and mercy to help those in time of need. This is who he is. It's his attributes. It's what he wants us to do. And if we know the truth, then we should be wanting to do the same thing, to encourage others, to present truth to others, to convict others by truth, by walking it out. So grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, getting what we don't deserve his unmerited favor. Which should show up in our lives. Actually, it's charis. Listen, it's the graciousness. This is the, I gave you a bunch of layman's terms. This is actually what it says in the Strong's Concordance. Especially the divine influence on the heart and the reflection in the life. In other words, if you've received grace, there should be an influence in your life and it should reflect on your heart and it should come out as evidence by faith to others. There's an influence that's going on. So you're already saved by mercy and now you've been given grace also and you get to walk and be a witness and a child of God. And it should come out as evidence. There should be something going on. Well, peace is the first thing. Grace, mercy, and peace. Usually when you see this, you see grace and mercy. John's using all three. Purse, Irene, I think is Irene. Where is it at? Peace, Irene. 
What's it mean? It means to join. Well, we were enemies of God. We were separated from God. We didn't even know it. And then when we, when we receive mercy and grace to help in time of need, when we come to salvation and the Spirit seals us, uh, we, we um, join God's family. It actually means to set at one again. We were separated by a liar, received a sin nature, and then when we have peace, we're set at one again. And it implies in its very nature prosperity. Not prosperity like money, but growth. You're so prospering because now you're part of the family of God. And everything that God owns is good. But you know, you can have peace with God. Romans 5, 1, I think. Peace with God by believing in Jesus. But then there's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 6. You can have the peace of God. Even when things are falling apart, you can be calm and have peace knowing that God is allowing, not causing, allowing in His sovereignty so that you will cry out to Him, so that you will trust in Him, so that you will learn from Him, so that you will be a witness for Him that you know how it all ends. You know what's going on. You know whose hands you're in. You know you've been building on a foundation of truth. And you can keep loving people even when they're not lovable because you're becoming like God. That's godliness. That's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And it only comes from God the Father. Well, how's it come, Greg? He sent his son. Well, what's the truth? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Then what happens? His love will come into your heart and seal you, the Spirit of God. And then those attributes become yours. And then you begin to do what? You begin to weed the garden. Get rid of the flesh. Weed the things that are not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You begin to weed that out. Well, how do you do that, Greg? You die to self. You ask God for strength and power to say no. You know that he has defeated the power and taken the penalty, and now you've been set free to follow. And still apply the word of God in truth to your life. That's a crazy introduction, isn't it? Verse 4, I, this is John speaking, rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Now notice that again, there is a plumb line. There is an image. There is a picture. There is a place of truth. And he's not just going, oh, they're doing so great. But when he makes the statement that they're walking in truth, he says, as God gave commandment. Listen, he compares it to what the truth actually is. Not his life to how I feel. Not his life to what other churches are doing or other Christians are doing. Notice where he's comparing it to. I rejoice greatly, exceedingly. I left out meta, didn't I? I'm sorry. I left out meta. I got to go back. Let's skip four for a minute. 
I didn't know it. You guys might know this. I didn't know it. But when you click on the Facebook and you go on the Facebook every time you load it up, it says Meta right there on the screen. I don't have a Facebook, so I had no idea. And I was talking about it with my wife last night. She goes, well, look at this. And she touched Facebook and she showed it to me. And it says Meta right there on the screen. Well, what does that mean? With us, among us, whatever is accompanying you. See, I have the Spirit of God with me. I'm not, I don't have the world with me. I'm in the world, but not of the world. That's my identity in Christ. I'm not saying something like I'm being boastful. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in what the Lord did. He took me out of the world, and he now accompanies me with his Spirit. But meta is what they want to do in the world with their channeling and their mediums is they want to accompany you. They want to decide what you think and how you feel and where you go and what is good and what is bad. They want to make that for you. They do it right in your face because we will not study the truth which accords with godliness and wakes us up. It shines light and then we separate from their darkness as a witness, as an evidence that there's true life in us. That's what meta is when it says, I I skipped that whole context, didn't I? In verse 2, in us and with us forever. Wow, skipped the whole thing. It's back in 4 anyway. Meta, be careful. It's a new verse, metaverse. It's a new universe. It's a new thought. It's a new life. It's a new place where you can escape truth and reality. Isn't that the new name of it, Meta? Yeah. So, again, John says in 4, I rejoice greatly. I rejoiced greatly. He's, he's full of joy in an exceeding way. Why? Because I have found, it means to, 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 to see, just to see, to come upon, to perceive some of your children, elect lady, some of your offspring, walking in truth. And, and, and how are they doing it? As we receive commandment from the Father. So they're walking in truth, peripateo. It's their general walk. It's the way they're living. It's what they're doing. Why is he rejoicing? Because this is what a Christian is supposed to do. Begin walking in truth. It's your general walk. Walk is always how you're living. So a Christian is supposed to automatically, when the Spirit of God comes in, you get a new life, a new heart, a new operating system, if you will, that is leading your life. You're instantly supposed to begin to learn, turn your heart toward home, come to your senses as the prodigal son did, and walk in truth. Are we going to fail? Yes. But that's supposed to be our heart turned toward God in repentance. And we begin to do it according to what? commandment from the father what's commandment the authoritative prescription listen not according to the world that wants to give us prescriptions but according to the authoritative prescription the balm of gilead the good word of god which makes a heart glad the word of god truth will change everything in you living a lie will make your bones grow old living a lie will make you curl up Living a lie will make you sick spiritually. But the prescriptive, the uh, authoritative prescription of God's word, 
not only saves your soul, but it washes and cleanses your soul. It brings you across the finish line to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, God just wants you to turn to him first. Quit turning to everybody else. Have a personal love relationship with him that's real, it's personal, and it reflects in your life because of the influence of grace upon you when you see what you have been given, and then you take it and give it to others so that they can receive the same encouragement. And then you can rejoice. I mean, you can rejoice when other people are doing good. That's what he's doing there is rejoicing that some of their children are living in truth. Wow, you mean you're supposed to? You mean if you're the church, you're supposed to walk in truth? Listen to me, I'm not saying that facetiously. Because there's those out there that are false teachers that says you don't have to obey. Christ already did it for you. You can do whatever you want to do. But we've been set free to follow the commandments. And I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments, although that's a great place to start. Still not any good to murder. Still not any good to have any gods before him. Still not any good to lie or to cover your neighbor's wife. It's still not any good to do any of the Ten Commandments. It will crush your soul. It will crush your countenance as we talked about on Friday night. But I'm talking about the royal law of love. That's still, I mean, we're way above the law. You got a law written on stone? We're way above that with the Spirit of God. The law on stone says, Thou shalt not murder. Jesus in the Spirit said, If you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. That's the end of hating, is murder, killing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you look at a woman, unless you've already committed adultery in your heart, because if you could, you would, because your heart is bent on sin. Because you haven't repented and turned. Good thing we have Jesus. So he's rejoicing greatly that some of the church is walking in truth. And listen, it does my heart good. Not only when I walk in truth, but when I see people trying to respond to truth. That's why we talk about truth. Our conversation should be around truth. Everything that we do should be around truth. Spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. That's what we're here for. To give ourselves away to others. Not to continue to only be concerned about our own self. Jesus has got that. Have you received commandment from the Father? Are you walking in it? It's an authoritative prescription for your soul. It's good medicine. Get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. Five, and now I beseech, I plead with you, lady. Hey, lady! I get in trouble doing the Jerry Lewis thing. Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Listen, he's like, I didn't give you a new commandment to love one another. This is the commandment we've had from the beginning. Really? New is fresh. 
It's not a new authoritative prescription. It's the same one from the beginning. And he's beseeching, he's pleading that we would walk in that, that we would love one another and take one another. It means he desires and he prays. Look at uh, Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 18b. Actually, let's just look at 18a. You shall not take vengeance. Why? Vengeance is mine. I shall repay. God will take care of it. Don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, people in your family, the church. Love one another. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? I am the Lord, he says. Listen to me. That's, that's the same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want, to, you want to see where it's freshed at, where he refreshed it? You ever refresh on the screen? The screen freeze, you have to push refresh. Let's refresh it. Go to John 13. Refresh it. John 13. Remember John 13? Last night of Jesus' life, knowing that his hour had come, that he should go to the Father, having loved his own to the end, Who were in the world after supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Jesus as chariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Uh, verse 3 Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Listen to me. Jesus took off his prerogative as deity and wrapped himself in flesh and come down. And in the last night of his life, he took the lowest servant in the house's job. Listen, these guys come into the upper room. You have to see this. They've come across the, the, the sand, through the city. through They didn't have sanitation department. Trash is everywhere. They're walking everywhere in their sandals. Their feet are getting dirty. We're talking about walking love. We're talking about walking in love. Listen to me. We're talking about refreshing this commandment of walking in love and loving your neighbor. And they would come in, and what would happen when you would come into a house and you had just taken a bath because you'd been invited to a dinner, and you come into the house, now your feet are dirty. You and I do it every day. We, 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 we get up, we get into the Word, we, we pray to God, and we go out into this ugly world that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, a pit of hell. It's a sanitation department everywhere. You're hearing people saying everything, and every, everything in the marketplace you can gather, and you got to come back home. And get your feet washed. you got to run to the throne. Maybe before you get home and get your feet washed again in love. And so you always put your feet in Jesus' hand. And that's what would happen in that when you would come in there, the lowest servant of the house would wash people's feet because it was a dirty job. Even John the Baptist said, whose sandals I'm not worthy to unlatch. In other words, he wasn't even worthy to get to the washing. He couldn't take his shoes off to get to the fact that he would wash them. And Jesus comes in that last night before he's arrested and betrayed and crucified and dies for us, and he takes off his outer robe. He wraps a towel in flesh, and he comes down from the throne room 
and he unlashes their sandals and he washes their feet from the dirty ugliness of the world. You know, of course, Peter says, oh, when he gets to Peter, he's, you know, why, why did he do it? One, nobody else was willing to. They're arguing over who's the greatest. I'm the greatest. You're the greatest. I'm not. You're not. I am. And he is. And we are. And Peter had to. He was walking on water. And they're arguing over who was the greatest. So nobody's going to serve if you're the greatest. And Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, gets down and washes their feet. That's love. The same way nobody else was able to wash your spiritual feet. You weren't righteous. There's nobody else that's righteous. There's no other name under heaven and earth that can watch your spiritual feet and get you to heaven except for Jesus. That's why he came. Peter says, you're not washing my feet, Lord. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. Are you a Peter? Are you going to say, you can't wash my feet, Lord? Better read the text. What does he say to Peter? If I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Look at this. 13, if I, 13, uh, 8b, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter, what's he say quickly? Because he wants the Lord, uh, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just wash all of me then, Lord. And Jesus said to him, verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Well, why did he say that? For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. See, Judas is carried, hasn't went out yet. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again. Listen, Jesus washed our feet. He was in the grave three days and then rose again. That's washing our spiritual feet, our walk, our life. Then he spends 40 days with them. Then he ascends into heaven and he sets down at the right hand of the Father. This is a picture of it in John 13. And then he says what? Let me reason with you. Let's talk about this love. Look what he says. Look what he says. Verse 12b, do you know what I have done to you? Listen to me today, people. Do you know what truth has done for you when he come to earth and took flesh? Do you know your identity? Do you know that you can be born again? Do you know you're a child of God? Do you know you've been set free? Do you know what Jesus has done? You call me teacher and Lord. You call me rabbi and kurios. And you say, well, for so I am. I am means ego of me. It means he's saying I am God. I am that I am. I'm the becoming one. If I then, your Lord, kurios, and teacher, your instructor, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now listen, there's churches, and we've talked about this before, that have foot washing services, and it's really easy to wash somebody's feet who just had their toes manicured and put on brand new socks and came into the church with freshly washed feet. But we're talking about people who are dirty and unclean. We're talking about feet that stink because they just walked through the pit of hell in this world. And they're going through stuff in their daily life and their walk and how they're living. And we still need to love them and encourage them and wash them with the word of God. And help them to be involved in the church with the spirit of God. And go through this life and reach the finish line. 
And that's the fresh commandment that he's giving us right here. He says in 15, for I have given you an example. It's a pattern. It can actually mean uh, an imitation or a warning. A specimen that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, if you practice them. And then over in 34, 1334, I'm going to skip the content. We'll move along for sake of time. He says again, a fresh, a new commandment, a new authoritative prescription I give to you. It's freely given. That you love one another, serve one another. Love is agape. It's a, it's a servant word. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He sat up in heaven and played ping pong. No, he got up off the throne. He took off his prerogative to be God. He became a son. He wrapped himself in flesh. He got up. Love is acted, I mean, love, you can say all you want, I love you, honey, but if you don't get your butt up off the couch, do you really love her? If you don't do the things it takes to take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Love gets up and does. Love is about the action. I love you, God, but why do you, you keep my commandments? If you love me, keep my commandments. Listen, this is a fresh way of looking at it. A new commandment, as I have loved you. No, 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 not love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because, see, that doesn't go deep enough. You love yourself because of your own fleshy, stinking self. He says, love, your, love, love others as I have loved you, unconditionally, over and beyond, outside your comfort zone. Get off your throne and love others because of the love of God, the truth of God that abides in you and will be with you forever. Why? There's evidence. By this, verse 35, all will know that you are my learners, my disciples, if you have love for one another. Listen, that's how we're supposed to treat each other in the family of God. This text about hospitality is the family of God. The family of God should love one another, be concerned about one another, carry one another's burdens. It's the entire one another ministry that's going on because of the Spirit of God that is in us. You can't do it on your own. You can't fake it till you make it. You have to surrender to the mighty work of the Holy Spirit that is in you. So he says he gives us a new commandment, not a new commandment, a fresh commandment, but that which we have had from the beginning that we should love one another. Now, he's talking about the beginning of Christ's ministry, but I wanted you to see it goes all the way back to Leviticus. It's always been written down in the written law, but now it's written on your heart and sealed by the Holy Spirit that you should walk in it. Well, what does love look like? Verse 6. I could have read verse 6 and not went through all that, but I like going through all that, okay? Verse 6. He's going to define love for you. This is love. Uh-oh. Listen to me. That we walk according to His commandments, His authoritative prescriptions. 
And this is the commandment, the authoritative prescription, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Walk is peripateo. It's how you're living. Listen, if we believe the truth, we should walk in His commandments. And His commandment is not burdensome. We should love one another. And that's laying down your life, not consumed with self. Jesus was consumed with compassion for lost souls. They heard it from the beginning. This is love. Here's what it looks like. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But in action, it gets up and does. It looks like those stains, but if you're not doing those stains, then it's just talk is cheap. Well, why do we need to know this, Greg? Verse 7. For many deceivers, for many deceivers, planos comes from the word planeo, many deceivers, it it means roving as a tramp, an imposter, a misleader, a seducer, have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So again, back to the original thought of the letter, why am I writing it? Because of hospitality that's in the culture, and there's a bunch of deceivers and seducers and liars that they come to your house and they say, make me a sandwich, get me a meal, but they don't do anything. All they're in it for is their own belly. All they're in it for is their own self. And they come, and he's saying, don't show them hospitality. You know who they are. They're coming and they're, 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 they're teaching false doctrine. They're, they're, they're Judaizers, which is one. And the other ones are Gnostics. It's a play on the word Gnosticism where we're supposed to come to know and learn to know and be assured of the knowledge that we have of Jesus. But the Gnostics say you have to have more knowledge. And if you'll make me a meal, I'll tell you what that knowledge is. And they're doing it for hire instead of for love. And they're doing it to deceive you. And the ultimate purpose that the devil would want is to lead you away, to seduce you, because they are deceivers and they're antichrist. They're instead of Christ. They're against Christ. They teach another way. There's many false doctrines out there. All of them will, 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 will gear up on this. Works-based. Listen, we don't do works to get saved. We work because we're saved. There's a big difference. Faith without works is dead faith. It's not true saving faith. But it's the work of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. But the other religions, all false religions are based on this. You have to work. You have to do. But they also do this. They attack the deity of Christ. He didn't come in the flesh is what the Gnostics were saying. They had a special knowledge that all flesh was evil. And if Jesus, the Messiah, had come and he came in the flesh, then he would be evil. So he wouldn't be the Messiah. So they would say he didn't have a body. So they always attack really the deity part of Christ. They'll attack the deity. There's actually church denominations that says Jesus was not God. He was the Son of God. And they hold that firmly. Firmly. Because they don't understand that he was God in the flesh. And they will not teach that. And that's attacking the deity. He's 100% man, 100% God. Don't know how it works, but I, but I like it a bunch. And it's true. Because he became altogether like me so that I could go to heaven. 
he came down so I could ascend up. So be careful with the deceivers and don't show them hospitality. We're not supposed to be nice. We're not supposed to be yoked with them. We're not supposed to join with them. Look at verse 8, new beginning. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Saying that you could lose your reward. You wouldn't get the fullness of it if you're led astray. If you're not being sanctified, if you're not being cleansed, if you're not following the commandments and the prescriptive or the authoritative prescription. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say that you get kicked out of heaven. But you certainly will get in smelling like smoke. Well, some have turned a saved soul, but a lost life because you did nothing for God. You continue to do everything for yourself. Now, I say that that's a very hard thing to do because if the Spirit of God comes in, you have to grieve and quench and insult and lie to the Holy Spirit and resist Him really hard if you're really saved not to bear fruit. You have to continue. So you're either, one, not saved, the Spirit's never came in, or pretty soon you're going to die because God's going to lift you up because you didn't bear any fruit. That's what John 15 says. See, because if the Spirit of God comes in and you see what's gone on, that you've been given grace and mercy and you have peace now and that God has done all of this for you when you did not deserve it and you begin to recognize your identity, all that you want to do is surrender. And the power is already in you working to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever hope for or ask. It's a better plan than yours. Yours was ending in death this one ends in well done good and faithful servant enter into my rest why would we not come to our senses why would we not surrender look to yourselves not for salvation but guard yourselves guard yourselves Beware, behold, take heed that yourself is not deceived because of following something that your flesh likes to follow and receive these liars and you miss out on what God has for you. Listen, listen. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. You reap the whirlwind. It may take a while. You don't know when it's coming, how it's coming. But if you sow corn, listen, when God allows that seed of corn to die, he allows it to grow. You're not gonna, it's not going to grow up into an apple tree if you sow corn. If you sow rebellion and lawlessness, it's not going to grow up in peace and righteousness. It's not going to look like love to others. But when you die with Christ, now his seed that's in you and seals you can grow and look like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And can give you the energy and the strength and lead you to do the good work of God and be the evidence of God that accords with salvation. Don't be cheated by some deceiver. Whoever, and he goes on to explain it, listen, whoever transgresses, whoever transgresses, there's that word trans, 
no law, transgresses and does not abide, dwell in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Did you get that? Listen to me. It's very simple. This is one of the scriptures that will tell you if there's evidence. Listen, transgresseth means um, to overstep, to neglect, to go contrary, to violate a command, to have a heart that you want to violate the authoritative prescription of God. That's what he's talking about here. I don't care. I already said a prayer. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to abide in the doctrine, the instruction of God, the teaching of God. What I've been taught from the Holy Scriptures, I don't have to do that. Well, then you don't have the Father and you don't have the Son. If you have no desire, it doesn't mean just slipping or stumbling. But if you don't have a desire to follow and you think you can transgress and do whatever you want, then it's quite simple. He says you're not saved in the first place. You don't have the Father or the Son. And I think this side of heaven, it's today, today is the day for salvation to find out whether I believe in Jesus, to whether I have received the Father because no one comes to the Father except through the Son. Why? Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And if our heart is still living in the sin nature, wanting to transgress God and ignore what he says and say, I'm okay because I said a prayer, you're in trouble at the heart of your Christian walk. But if you have a desire to abide, that's the word mino. Remember, hupomino, to abide under. That's when you're going through trials and, you, and it produces endurance and patience, hupomino. Well, this is just mino, to stay under in any given place, to abide, continue, and remain in the vine, to stand in the victory, to obey the doctrine and the teaching that God has laid out for us, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Because if we don't have a desire and we just think we can transgress and do what we want and be lawless like the world is right now, the world is becoming lawless. And so is the church. There's no rules. There's no authority. I'll just go to the other church. You're just the pastor. It doesn't matter. God has assigned people in the church to be the authority of the church. Not because of who they are, but because of who God is. The Spirit gives the gifts. And we would do well to listen to authority because it teaches us evidence of whether our heart is being trained or transgressing. Washed or pretending. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you, now this is what the whole thing is really about. People coming to them and does not bring this instruction, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Don't even say hello to him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. See, we're supposed to speak up and speak out. To be silent means you agree. To be silent means that it's okay. You're not speaking up and speaking out. We're called to be witnesses. Light shines into darkness. If so, that's why I tell people that prophets are subject to the prophets. If we're in Bible study and you would like to speak, I would love for you to speak. But if you speak and you say something on the floor that is not true, I'm not going to go, you Stupid idiot, why would you say that? But I'm going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible says in Hebrews, and I'm going to correct it. And we should want to be corrected. We should long to be corrected. Iron sharpens iron, and so does, the, so does a man's countenance. 
sharpen his friend. Did I say that right? I did. Proverbs 27, 17. We're supposed to be correcting one another. We're competent to counsel if we're learning the Word of God and we're using the Word of God with the Spirit of God to do the will of God so that the body can come together in unity into the fullness of the knowledge of God and we can do the work of the ministry. But that has to be the heart. If your heart is just to transgress, we ask whether you're saved or not. Do not receive people that bring some other doctrine. But you see in Christendom today, and I'll finish with this, that Christian authors, Christian musicians, people that call themselves Christians, and I, I don't know them personally, but they're yoking themselves up with people who lie, and they're deceivers, and they're transgressors, and they're not from God. They're from the spirit of Antichrist. And in order to make their money, they go and they play music for godless people. They go and write books and sign them, and they, and they join with other people in conferences to talk about their books so they can sell their wares and make it a, a, a den of thieves. It's the same thing that happened to the Jewish nation, and we're doing it all over again for the love of filthy lucre, for the love of money. What about your own soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And, and you lead people astray because you go and join with deceivers, people who double down when you correct them on the word of God, double down when you tell them that's not biblical, and you still go and open their conferences because of your contractual agreement with the world. It's just truth. Oh, you wrote another book. Why? Because you had a contract to write another book? What was wrong with the 66 books that were already written? Why would you muddy up God's counsel? Sorry, I'm just pretty serious about this. Listen, don't even greet them. You're not supposed to be yoked with them. You're not supposed to have fellowship with these seducers and spirit of antichrist that are not walking out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of us have issues. But are you standing on truth? Are you walking in love? Do you understand the commandments of God? Then you don't want to be yoked with deceivers and you don't need to show them hospitality. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that's unsaved. We're still witnessing to the world, but we don't have fellowship with them either. Paul deals that with that in a different place. Because we've been called out. We don't fellowship in the world. That's koinonia. That's what the word is here too. That's what the word is here too. It's koinonia. When you don't become a partaker with them. It's the word koinonia. It means to share with them. It means to fellowship or come into communion with them. Listen, if you know somebody's a false teacher, you should not be quoting their name. You should not be opening a concert in their name. You should not be fellowshipping with them and in any way giving them a platform to reach other Christians and to deceive them, to reach other people and deceive them. They should be called out. And if they double down on it, just leave them doubled down and dust the feet. But when you're corrected by the Word of God and you say, oh, wow, I must have misquoted that. I don't really believe that. That's a different thing. Listen, they're out there even more today because they know it's the last hour. Be very careful. Know what you believe and know what you don't believe. And don't give hospitality or any ear to false teachers. Don't entertain them. 
Get in the Word of God and find out what you're supposed to be doing. And don't be misled by people who say, I'm a Christian artist. I'm a Christian author. I'm a preacher. I know what the truth is. They might sound good, but if it doesn't line up with truth, it's not walking in love. It can't be. Truth has to come before love. The belt of truth has to come before righteousness. I mean, that's just the way it is in the the Scriptures. You have to put things in order. It's foundational. Having many things to write to you, listen, he wanted to write a bunch more, but he makes a real short letter, so he keeps the main thing the main thing. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak with you face to face that our joy may be full. He wanted to be personal about it. He wanted to set down and iron sharpen iron. He wanted to talk about the Scriptures. Listen, I talk with my son almost every day. I can sit here and cry for you, but I'm not going to cry because I have self-control. My son got saved over a year ago, and we talk about, I, I really didn't talk with my son that much prior to that. Holidays, because we didn't have any fellowship really, because he wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. I told my mom the same thing. You're going to live in my house. You have to go to church. That's because it's biblical. It's not because I'm mean. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord our God. It's just the way it's going to be. Not because I'm mean, not because I'm perfect, but because that's what the Scripture calls me to do, to walk in truth, and that is love. And then I learn the doctrine and I walk in it. But I'm just telling you to talk with my son every day almost on the phone and talk about Scripture and and sharpening each other. And it opens the Scripture up when you talk about it. You don't have to know it. Get your Bible out and call somebody and go, I was just reading here in John and it says, have you ever read that? And then they pick it up and then you both begin to get into the Scriptures. You don't have to know what it says. The Spirit will be there to teach you. And it opens up this whole world of the kingdom of God. And make scripture real to you. Your relationship real. He didn't want to write a bunch of letters. I don't want to write a bunch of books. I want to talk to you at Bible study. Let's sit down. What's going on in life? You need your feet washed? Hopefully I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, come and do that. Because they stink pretty bad. Oh. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Give us a desire to be equipped and go out and to speak up and speak out and know that if we're silent, we're approving of and partaking in their lawlessness because you have made us light bearers. You have made us witnesses. You have sent us to the world, to the dead and dying, and we are supposed to speak out with truth in love. Truth first in love. Thank you, Lord. Help us to um, be in your word, to follow your doctrine. Reprove us, Lord. Correct us, Lord. Instruct us in righteousness, Lord, that we might be thoroughly equipped and ready for every good work that you send us to do. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I